There's two questions that every single generation has been asking throughout history. And the same questions are being asked right now. The first is this, why are things the way that they are in the world? And two, how do we fix it? Good morning, good to see everybody. What a gorgeous day outside, right? Isn't it, isn't it beautiful out? And if you're at home, if you're at home, I like my bacon just less than crispy and I'll be over shortly for it, right? So it is, uh, it's a privilege for us to gather together to worship. However we're gathering, whether we're gathering online, whether we're gathering in this place and, and uh, good to see uh, that when we gather, we get to connect with God. I wanna take a moment, just pray, ask God to speak into our lives, speak into the stuff we have going on. Let's pray together. Father, I'm just grateful for the privilege we have uh, today uh, to give uh, just a bit of our day uh, to you, uh, to allow you to speak into our hearts and our lives. Father, you know the stuff we have going on. You know the things that I'm stressed about right now. And Father, I just pray that you would meet us in the middle of those things. And Father, we're grateful uh, for how you are at work and we want to align our hearts with yours. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So we've been in this series, Paradise Lost, and Matt has been sharing with us this the creation story. So you've got Adam and Eve, the biblical narrative tells us uh, in the book of Genesis, very first book in the Bible. In fact, if you want to start flipping back there, uh, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 3, get on your phone or uh, in your scriptures. And, and, and what we find is that Adam and Eve have this paradise. They're with God and they have this privileged relationship and connection to God. And everything is going along great. God tells them, hey, you have, you have the run of the whole place, but there's one tree that I want you to stay away from. Don't touch that tree. And as Matt unpacked for us, Satan comes and, and twists God's words just slightly saying, well, he didn't really mean what he said. And what is it about that gravitational pull that exists that causes us to want to like, whatever it is we're not supposed to do, we want to suck right up close to it. You know, what we don't find in the narrative is I wonder how often Adam and Eve walked by and looked at that tree. Oh, that's a great looking tree. And not today, not today. Ooh, check that. Did you see the tree today? Man, we get right up to the edge, don't we? Satan twists the words, and, and then we end up with, with calamity happening, paradise lost. And Matt's been given these two questions that every generation since then has been asking, what's wrong with the world, and how do we fix it? And those answers actually are birthed right here in Genesis chapter 3. Uh, my, uh, our grandkids, which we love, we love all the opportunities we have with them. My second oldest uh, uh, grandchild, uh, Bria, our granddaughter, uh, when she was three, uh, and she's just bubbly personality. She's always the life of the party when our family's together doing stuff. And, and I just love how she expresses things. But she's three years old and picking up new vocabulary. You know how it is when you have little ones. And, and she's at the doctor getting her uh, three-year-old physical. And so the doctor's talking to her and she's being a three-year-old. And then he has her lay down on the table and he gets the stethoscope out and he places it under her shirt. And she looks at him and says, well, this is awkward. Like what three-year-old knows what awkward means? <laughs> well, we got an awkward moment here 
in your Bible. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6 and 7. If you have, uh, turn over to here. Here's what happens. When the woman, Eve, saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. And so they sewed fig leaves together and they made coverings for themselves. That tree, the one they're not supposed to touch, the only one in the entire garden that is off limits for them, they take the fruit, they eat it. The scripture says their eyes were opened and now it's awkward. They recognize that they are naked. And for the first time, there's something about that that seems wrong to them. Something about what they've just done that puts them off kilter. And so what do they do? They go and get fig leaves and they sew them together and they cover themselves up. So right here in the Bible, we have the first two people in the history of the world who did not read the fine print in those apple contracts we get. <laughs> now... We have no idea if it was an apple. Everyone always wants to say it was an apple. We just know it was fruit. But here's the reality. Adam and Eve had the run of the place and they did the one thing that God had asked them not to do. And now the entire biblical narrative hinges off these two verses and gets flipped. And there were some things birthed right here in Genesis chapter three, verse six and seven. First, we find sin enters the world. And then we get the terrible twins that follow that sin. Sin is our disobedience to God. It is that breaking thing that happens in our relationship with him. It's us choosing to do what he doesn't want us to do. And sin comes. And mankind's relationship was changed in this moment. We have no idea how long Adam and Eve were in that garden and having harmony with God. We have no idea uh, what they had enjoyed up to that point. We had no idea the peace and prosperity that they were personally experienced, the harmony that came, the settledness they have. But now all of that is flipped over when they eat from this fruit and their eyes were opened and they realized, they realized they were in trouble. Our capacity for sin is overwhelming our ability to do what is right. Here's what the Bible has to say very clearly about all of us. First Kings chapter eight, verse 46. There is no man who does not sin. Ecclesiastes chapter seven. There is not a righteous person on earth who does good and never sins. Romans chapter three, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Isaiah 53, verse 6, we all like sheep have gone astray. Over and over and over in the Bible, what we read is this, that you and I are now unable, incapable of being obedient to God. We have the opportunity to do that. We have the, uh, we have the choice where we can do that, but all of us sin. All of us are broken. All of us walk with a limp. All of us have stuff. There isn't anybody here who doesn't sin. You know, I thought what we could do is actually like maybe do a framework about sin, the Ten Commandments, right? Give us uh, some of those sins, right? Don't covet, don't lust, don't, don't uh, uh, cheat on people, don't do all these, don't set up an idol. 
You know, I, I thought I'd have everybody stand up and I could read the Ten Commandments off and then you just sit down on the one you broke. <laughs> All right? You know, I, I think maybe if I do some mental gymnastics, you know, there's two that I haven't broken. The one is I've never made something out of clay and worshipped it. Now, there's other idols I've had, so I've probably broken that one. And the second one is none of your business. <laughs> the reality is we are all busted. We are all broken. We all sin. Now, one of the things that, that I've found as being a pastor for now, like too many years, is that people don't understand what Matt and I do for a living. They don't understand our jobs. They're all the time kind of asking. Uh, I was at Chili's uh, one night a bunch of years ago, and, and a guy who just started coming to church, and, and uh, he'd had just a little bit of liquid courage, and, uh, and he came up to the table and, and was just chatting with our family, and he said, oh, I really love Lightbridge, and I've never been to church, and I just love what goes on there. It's been so good for me, and I, I really, he said, I just have one question for you. He said, I know you're busy on Sundays because you have services and, and you got other, but what else do you do? And, and I said, well, you know, back then we had Saturday services too. I said, well, we had Saturday services, so Saturday and Sunday, I'm really swamped. The rest of the week, I just kind of hang out, you know. <laughs> I, I kind of quit trying to explain it. But, but the reality is, here is what Matt and I do. Right here, watch this video. Did you see that job security right there for all? <laughs> That's what we do. Get you out of the ditch only to watch you boom, back in the ditch. Why? Because you are busted, broken, messy. Me too. Me too. All of us. Sin is the breaking of a relationship with God. And then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked and so they sewed fig leaves together and they made coverings for themselves. How many of you are twins? Anybody here a twin? A couple of them. Before we had kids, I kept saying, I, I hope we have twins. Man, am I grateful God did not answer uh, that prayer. <laughs> but there's terrible twins born right here in this moment. And they're not identical twins, they're fraternal twins. They're similar, but they have some differences. Those twins, guilt and shame. You met them? Guilt and shame have a lot of things about them that are similar. Guilt is usually tied to an event. I did something bad. Shame is tied to me. I am bad. Guilt is the wound. Sin is the scar. Guilt is about what I've done. Shame is about who I am. And the weight of guilt and shame can be overbearing. Guilt is isolated to an individual. Shame spreads the wealth. It's kind of contagious. That child uh, of an angry or abusive alcoholic parent. The shame we carry with that. Or a spouse who's unfaithful. The shame that we carry with that. Or, or, or a victim of a crime. And we're the ones that feel the shame. And it's heavy. Guilt is heavy. 
I heard someone say, there is no problem on the planet that we can't add a little guilt to and make it worse. Because <laughs> that's what we do. Listen to what David the psalmist had to say about guilt. And David, the Bible calls him a man after God's own heart. Here's what he said. When troubles ganged up on me, a mob of sins past counting, I was swamped by guilt. I couldn't see my way clear. More guilt in my heart than hair on my head. So heavy, the guilt that my heart gave out. Do you hear what David is saying? All the woulda, coulda, shoulda's. All the things that I've carried about what I, I know I did, that guilt is overwhelming. And then the guilt connects to its ugly twin shame. And now it moves past the thing we did to us being convinced that we're not good people. We're just not good. I heard a podcast in January, this past January, it was about the apology line. Um, a guy named Alan Bridges started this in the 80s in New York City on the Upper East Side and, and he, he set it up so that you could call this number and confess your sins and he did it as a bit of a joke but thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people called to confess. Why? Because we have this need to unburden ourselves. We have this need to somehow get rid of this bag of rocks we've been carrying. We have this desire for it not to weigh us down. The truth is guilt is oppressive and shame it, it just weighs us down what was born in that garden sin and the terrible twins but also in this moment in Genesis we get our first cover up look what they did and they sewed fig leaves together and they made coverings for themselves. Now, up till then, they didn't recognize the need, but now they were exposed. Their disobedience exposed their heart, exposed their frailties, exposed their vulnerabilities, exposed who they were, and now they're out sewing fig leaves. And what are the fig leaves we use today? Sometimes it's knowledge, isn't it? If we could just know more, if we could understand more, for a long time in the history of the world, uh, we understood that it was God who caused things to happen. It was God that was there. But the more we learned, the more we got to know, we didn't need God. We could explain things away. And so in our own knowledge, in our own ability, Matt said uh, in this series that we take God's word and what do we do? We either twist it or we turn it slightly to make it conform to what we believe to be true, or we dismiss it altogether. Truth now becomes this thing that is based on how I feel, what I want, what I need, what I desire. Or culture, those are some of the fig leaves we sowed. I mean, the things have changed, the world is different today. We ought to recognize that. And I mean, you know, some of the things that the Bible wants us to do seem kind of outdated and really don't fit with the norm. And after all, popular opinion says this is okay. Walter Truett Anderson, trying to describe how we have shifted in our thinking about truth, about God's word, describes it in a baseball analogy, and he talks about three umpires. I'm a baseball fan, and I love we're back in baseball season. And he says, there was a long time for history in the world that the umpire would say this, there are balls and strikes, I call them the way they are. They come through the strike zone, it's a strike. If it's outside the strike zone, it's a ball. There's an established standard. Then we made a subtle shift, and the umpire started saying this. 
There are balls and strikes. I call them the way I see them. Based on my position, from my perspective, whether it went through the strike zone or not, I call them the way I see them. But today, the umpire says this. That ball that's flying through the air, it ain't nothing till I call it. And do you see what we've done? We've made any standard, any truth, any absolute uh, standard from God rise or fall upon my acceptance of it. If I think it is, great. And if I don't, no harm, no foul. Accomplishments, that's one of the fig leaves. If I can just prove to people that I have value, I know I've done some stupid things, I know I've screwed my life up, I know I've messed up, but if I can get enough money, if I can have enough trophies, if I can have enough titles, if I can do enough things that people around me, you, you will say to me, you must be of value. Because why all of us, all of us, all of us want to be of value. Religion. We earn our way to God. And most religions are really good at piling the guilt on. Why? Because guilt's a good motivator. It can get you to do some stuff. But nearly every religion on the planet, everyone except Christianity, which is not a religion, it's a relationship, is about how we earn our way up to God. If we can just do more good stuff, then we do bad stuff. And so some of us do that mental gymnastics all the time, right? We try to make sure, oh, I hope I did enough good things today because I know I screwed up last night. And if we can just die when the scales are tipped in our favor, we're gonna be okay. For some of us, we numb ourselves. The pain and the guilt and the shame we carry is more than we can manage, so we numb it with a lot of different stuff. And sometimes that numbing gets out of control and now controls us. And to all my recovery friends in the room, one, I wanna say to you, and God bless you for your courage. And whether this is day one of your sobriety or day 10,000 of your sobriety, congratulations to you. Because you've done what all of us need to do. You've owned up that you are powerless to fix yourself. You have owned up to the reality that this thing has got a hold of me in a way I can't fix my mind. I need help and that help has to come beyond me. And for many of you, you've found that strength in God and you've discovered that, that you, you can get past your past. For a lot of us, self-determination are the fig leaves we sowed. I am gonna make my way. I'm gonna do what I wanna do. I'm gonna make my life work out. And for all of us, we ought to look in the mirror and ask ourselves, how's that working out for us? Because... We're in trouble, the Bible says. So what was birthed right here in Genesis 3, 6 and 7, when Adam and Eve take from that fruit? Sin was birthed. The terrible twins, guilt and shame, were birthed. The first cover-up was birthed. But also, God reveals his redemptive plan. And all the biblical narrative turns right here. In a couple of weeks, we're going to get to uh, Genesis 3.15 where, where God is saying to Satan, the serpent, that, that uh, I'm going to put enmity, I'm going to put uh, grief between you and the woman and her seed and he will crush 
your head and you will uh, bruise his heel. There's a, a piece of art in Israel, one of the places where we go uh, on our group. And again, I always love to have you join in uh, when we're going again in October. Matt and Kelly and Diane and I are taking a trip. And it, it, I love the perspective I get there. But I love this piece of art that shows this serpent crawling at the feet of, of the woman. People who study theology, theology is the study of God. In Latin, refer to Genesis 3.15 as the proto-evangelium, the first look at evangelism, the first look at what God was gonna do. Here's what he says. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. The striking the heel was the death on the cross. The crushing of the head was what we celebrate on Easter, the resurrection of Jesus that gives hope and promise and redemption and grace to every one of us so that we can get past our past. Here's what God is saying to you. You wanna, you wanna make some coverings? I got you covered. I got you covered. Remember what, what we read from Paul? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He goes on to also say, and you are justified freely by grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. You didn't do this on your own. There is grace available to you. It is given to you and it comes through Christ. Isaiah said, we all like sheep have gone astray. Remember that sheep? <laughs> all of us. He also said this, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. Ever been to a sporting event and see that John 3.16 sign? Here's what it says. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him wouldn't perish but would have everlasting life. For God didn't send his son to condemn the world, but to save us, to redeem us, to restore us, to bring us back in a relationship with him so that paradise that was lost might one day be redeemed and reconciled back to God. Our sin, your sin, the guilt and shame that we carry with that, God is offering you a way out and it isn't on your ability to be good. It isn't on your ability to make things right. It isn't in your ability to buy your way or earn your way there. It is simply done when you and I choose to turn towards him, to give our hearts to him, to surrender in baptism like we're gonna watch a bunch of folks do this morning. And if you're ready to take that step, just take it. God isn't saying to you, hey, I want you to get all cleaned up first. All that crap in your life that you're still messing with, I want you to get all that sorted on your own power in your own strength and then come and get baptized. What he is saying to you right now, if you wanna be free from that, if you wanna get past the guilt, you wanna get past the shame, right now in this moment, just accept his grace, the promise of his peace, the hope that comes through his redemption. That's the Bible story. All of us are busted. All of us are broken. All of us are beyond repair. And it is God who's got you covered. And he's got you covered through the hope and promise that comes through his son. And it's when you and I trust him that he gives us freedom from our past. Being good enough isn't good enough. All of us need God's grace, his hope. So we hear, for God so loved the world 
And you know, that's really nice, isn't it? God loves everybody. Oh, he loves you and you and you. and I know that. God loves everybody. But you know what I'm convinced most of us struggle with? Even believers, followers of Jesus. On the one hand, we believe he loves everybody. And on the other hand, we're not actually sure he loves me. Why? Because I know me. I know my stuff. I know what I have guilt over. I know the shame I've carried. And if you don't hear anything else today, tune in for two seconds. I want you to hear the father of the universe saying these words to you. I love you. I love you. I love you. With your warts and your wounds and your wobbles, I love you. I got you covered. My son Jesus is all you need to get past your past. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your grace, for the hope we find in you, from you, through you, Lord, I know all of us in this place need the grace, but I'm grateful. I am so grateful that you've extended that grace to me. For all of us like sheep, we've gone astray. But you provide a way for us to be reconciled and restored to you. We thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, we're going to get to share in this time of baptism. And I want to encourage, if you want to take that step, if, if you didn't come ready, they're ready for you. God's ready for you. All you need to do is show up. There'll be some folks down here uh, next to the baptistry. We're going to get to watch some folks do this. And it is a step into the grace of God. It is a step into the promise of God. It is a step to allow God to say to you, I got you covered. You don't have to cover yourself anymore. Let's share in this time celebration together.